0: It's Peter. So good to be back in a, a church uh, that hasn't been turned into a museum. Um, it's so good to be uh, in a place where we can worship the living God uh, together. Today's Bible reading it comes from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 22, and Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Noah's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you. Am I going to give you, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is better. Sorry, it is better for me. So it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Roth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. May God uh, open our ears, eyes and hearts to hear uh, the Spirit of God.
1: <laughs> Some of you may recall that back in the uh, 90s, uh, there was a film Four Weddings and a Funeral. Well, in this book, we have three funerals and a wedding. In Ruth, we are told the story of one family plus Ruth. And the difficulties that they faced as they tried to survive during the trying times of the judges. As Peter reminded us last week that the period of the judges was were dark days for the nation of Israel. They were full of trauma because of the the nation's immorality and apostasy. They were years when there was this cyclical pattern of sin uh, as the nation disobeyed God, of suffering as oppressors subjected the people to times of suffering, of supplication as Israel cried out to God from for deliverance and salvation as God raised up a deliverer, a judge. And so in the the book of Ruth we have a snapshot of one family during these difficult times, Elimelech, Naomi and their two sons. And the opening five verses cover a period of more than 10 years as the family lived in Moab, a nation adjoining Israel. They'd moved there from Bethlehem during this time of drought. And while they were there, the boys married Moabite women. But also in those first five verses, we have three funerals Elimelech and the two sons. These perverses provide a background for what the rest of the story unfolds as we read through the 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 book god may appear to be absent we never read words like god said to ruth nor do we find any seg- any significant recognition that god was there in fact god is hardly mentioned only twice is he told said uh, to intervene, and so that we could think that the book of Ruth was really merely an interesting story of uh, of human resilience in difficult times, but we'd be wrong, because God is there, but he is hidden. In fact, God is incredibly active throughout this, this whole story. So this morning as we continue this series of tracing God's story through the scriptures, we look at this family and we become aware of God behind the scene. Even when we may not think so, God is at work accomplishing his purpose. God behind the scene. Just because God is hidden, it doesn't deny his presence or his activity. He's at work in accomplishing his purposes in the life of these two ladies. But also for the nation of Israel and ultimately for the world. We find that when our circumstances appear hopeless that God specialises in turning dead ends into doorways to fulfil his purposes. And for this reason, I believe the Book of Ruth can be an encouragement to your faith life and to my faith life in 2023. Because we, as we look at, at our own lives, God is at work, although we may not see it. God is working behind the scene in your life and in mine. So after the deaths of each of their husbands, Naomi and their two daughters-in-law prepare to move back to Bethlehem because the drought has broken. We're told that God has come to the aid of his people. And Naomi offers very logical reasons as to why the girls should remain in Moab. That's their homeland. That's where their family is. Naomi has no more sons for them to marry. All very logical reasons. But God doesn't always act according to human logic. Orpah decides that she'll go back. But Ruth commits herself to remain with Naomi despite being urged to reconsider her decision. And uh, the writer tells us "But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me ever so so severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Ruth makes this commitment to Naomi, to Naomi's people, and to Naomi's God. And this small but important scene is a testimony of how God often works in our lives. You know, many people think that God is absent when there are no amazing signs of his presence. We can inadvertently believe that God only shows up in the miraculous or in the amazing events. And if we think like this, we fail to recognise God's presence in the very ordinary events of our lives. That's because God's presence is discerned by faith. There aren't always burning pillars or pillars of burning bushes or pillars of fire showing us what to do. Even in the ordinary events of life God is there. As Paul wrote, we live our lives by faith not by sight. And so the two two women return to Bethlehem. One, Naomi, a woman who is still, still dealing with the grief of her devastating losses, a depressed woman, A woman who believed that God had it in for her. A bitter woman who believed that God had forsaken her. A woman who saw no hope of anything good in the future. A woman who was destitute. A woman who believed that there was no light at the end of the tunnel. A woman who told those who greeted her to call her Mara, which means bitter. The other was Ruth, a Moabitess, a people who did not possess most favoured nation status with, with Israel. She was an alien. She was a woman with no one to support her, but a woman who had committed herself to Naomi, to Naomi's people, to Naomi's God. Even though at this point Naomi wasn't particularly positive, about God. And yet in this whole scenario, scenario, although they can't see it as yet, God is there. Because the rest of the story tells of a, a comeback from the very depths of despair through the door of the Lord's providential guidance and provision. Every step would bring them closer to God's blessing, to the fulfilment of God's promises and purposes. For them for Israel, for the world. Convinced that God is against her, Naomi has exaggerated her hopelessness so much that she she couldn't see the rays of hope that were shining through the clouds. I wonder if something of Naomi's experience resonates with some of us this morning. Maybe as we unpack this story that we'll be able to see that and discover that, that God is working behind the scene in each of our lives as well. The timing of the lady's return was just right. It was the beginning of the barley harvest, which would be followed by the wheat harvest. This meant that food was available and so Ruth suggested that she go out into the fields and glean. Gleaning was a, a provision that God had made in the law to enable those who were poor or who were aliens or who were widows to obtain food. In Leviticus 19 we read, when, the harvest, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, do not pick up what the harvesters drop." dropped, The same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Here, in in a very real sense, God had in his law providentially pre planned to meet the immediate needs of people such as these two destitute ladies. And so ends chapter 1 in despair. But chapter 2 covers one 24-hour day in the life of Ruth and Naomi. What a day it was. What a difference a day makes. But before the day begins, we as readers are let in on a secret... In verse 1, we're told that there was, there was this significant fellow in Bethlehem who's, who was a relative of Ruth's father-in-law. His name was Boaz. Ruth doesn't know this yet, but we're let in on the secret. And being let in on the secret helps us to better understand the events that follow. We begin to, to see again that God is behind the scenes. Ruth goes out to glean with the harvesters. And verse 3 of chapter 2 tells us it turns out that she gleaned in a field belonging to Boaz. At first glance, this, to be, this appears to be amazing, an amazing stroke of luck. However, we know that it was more than luck, don't we? Ruth's presence in Boaz' field was not brought about by luck or coincidence or chance but by God's purpose. And knowingly, God had guided her to that field at the right time, in the right place, and uh, orchestrated by the Lord who had his plans for Ruth. But not only for Ruth, for all of us. Anyway, not only was it Boaz's field... Boaz just happened to come into that field at that precise moment to see his workers. And as we discover later, Boaz happens to be an individual who's able to assist this family in their need. Boaz spots this cute brunette gleaning with the other poor. He inquires of the foreman who she is and then goes out of his way to show her favour. He ensures she's protected from aggression by any young man around her. He invites her to enjoy lunch with his workers and himself. He loads her down with plenty of grain at the end of the day. Things seem to be brightening up. When Ruth returns home and recounts the day's events to her mother-in-law, all of a sudden the lights come on for Naomi. Naomi this discouraged, depressed woman suddenly comes alive. This woman who only days previously believed that God had it in for her, now begins to praise him. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Naomi Naomi blesses the Lord for revealing to her that he has been active, that what Boaz is doing is in the open, but the Lord is behind all that is occurring. Naomi made the comment that Boaz was a kinsman or family redeemer, you may wonder what that is. In those days, there was a custom based on deuteronomy twenty five, which says, "If two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son, his widow may not be married to anyone from outside the family. Instead her husband's brother should marry her and have intercourse with her to fulfill the duties of her brother-in-law. The first son that she bears to him will be considered the son of the dead brother so that his name will not be forgotten in Israel. And we'll explore that a little bit more in a moment. And so at Boaz's invitation, Ruth continues to glean throughout the harvest season. And then we come to chapter three. And we could title it, Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find and catch me a catch. You may remember that song from Fiddler on the Roof. Several weeks had passed, the harvest is about to conclude when Naomi comes up with a risky strategy and no doubt she's been mulling over in her mind this sort of thing since Ruth began gleaning in Boaz's field. Naomi knows Boaz is a close relative Relative, She knows that the Mosaic law made provision for the family name to be preserved if a, de- a man died childless and there was no son to perpetuate the family name. What was to occur was for the nearest relative to marry the widow. She could have discussed the matter with, with Boaz, but she comes up with this risky strategy. But friends, Naomi's plans model one way in which divine and human actions work together. There's a danger of us waiting passively and hoping that something happens. But there are also times when we must seize the initiative, when an opportunity presents itself. After all, God may present that opportunity. I'm reminded of Paul. Paul was a, uh, driving to church one wet Sunday morning in his two-seater sports car. And As he was driving along, he saw three people from the church huddled together under an umbrella, waiting for the bus to come. There was Dr Roberts, a man to whom he owed his life, who'd treated him well when he was sick. There was Mrs Thompson, who he knew struggled with arthritis and rheumatism, particularly on cold, uh, wet days. And then there was Julia, a young lady who'd recently come to the church and he'd been looking for an opportunity to uh, get acquainted with her. What was he going to do? He only had one seat. There were three people. He had a split second to make a decision. Quickly he pulled up the car. He handed the keys to Dr Roberts, he helped Mrs Thompson into the car and he joined Julia under the umbrella hoping that the, uh, the bus would be running late. <laughs> you know there are times when God expects us to do our part and this is what Naomi is doing here. She suggests Ruth listens and at the same time God is acting. God knows, and Naomi knows that Boaz will be threshing his barley that evening, that he'll be alone, that he'll spend the night there to protect his grain from theft. And so Ruth goes along with Naomi's suggestion. After Boaz is asleep, she lies at his feet on the threshing floor. When he turns open in, over in the middle of the night, he finds a woman sleeping there. Wow. Carrying out Naomi's plan, Ruth was proposing to Boaz that he could act as kinsman redeemer as spelt out in the Mosaic law. She wants him to know that if he was ready to discharge this responsibility that she would agree to be his wife. Boaz agrees but he says there's a problem. There's a closer relative who has first right of refusal. But he assures Ruth that he'll follow this matter through promptly. And so later that morning, Boaz is at the city gate, the open area at the town centre where the the business and the judicial matters were uh, transacted. He assembles the required elders to witness the transaction as legal and then he keeps an eye out for Mr. So-and-so, this close relative. Boaz, Boaz is aware that most men in the village would pass that way as they went out to the fields. And yet even in this, God is at work. When that fellow comes along, Boaz calls him aside. He skillfully presents the, the situation to him. We find Boaz was quite a shrewd, fellow. He explains that Naomi has a block of land for sale and that Mr. So-and-so has the first right of refusal. This is based on a law in Leviticus 25. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty, is forced to sell some of the family land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. This was to ensure that The land of Israel remained in the families to whom it had been allotted when they settled in that land. Well, Mr So-and-so agrees to pay the price that uh, Boaz has suggested so that the land would remain in the family and he could add that to his property portfolio. But then Boaz throws in the clangour. There's more, not just steak knives... But Ruth, she goes with the land. And so Mr So-and-so reneges on his deal. He realises that if he married Ruth and they had a son, then the land would go to that family. And as far as he was concerned, to marry Ruth wasn't a very sound investment. He was more concerned about his own personal security than Ruth and Naomi's, and so Boaz is faithful to his promise to Ruth, and immediately agrees to to take both the land and the Ruth. The elders are asked to witness the transaction, and then the title deeds are handed over, which in those days was Mr. So and So handing over his sandal. Some months later, a son is born named Obed. The writer notes that even this was part of God's activity. The one who who had been unable to bear children when she was married to Marlon, the writer tells us God enabled her to conceive and give birth to a son. And so the story ends. But no, it doesn't. The story is not just telling of a family's misfortune in the time of the judges. For there's this closing genealogy in the book which reveals the extent of God's grace. That God accepted this foreigner Ruth into his chosen people. That God does not bless Ruth with a child merely for her own benefit. God honoured her with the role of continuing the family into which King David, Israel's greatest king, would be born. You may recall that last week Pete quoted Judges 21. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Now this genealogy directs us to that king whom God had chosen. But even that's not the end of the story because Ruth appears with four other women in the genealogy of Jesus that we find in Matthew. This foreign woman played a significant role in continuing God's story. This ordinary woman, rejected by polite Israelite society in her day because of her race, is an important part of God's program for the salvation of the world. In this same town of Bethlehem, the Saviour was born. God behind the scene. This woman who who on the surface level level was behind the eight ball was used by God to fulfil his purposes. This foreigner as part of Jesus' genealogy symbolises that the gospel is for all people. This is where God's story culminates with the one who is king of kings. So friends, this short story, tucked away in the Old Testament, has has far-reaching effects. This story lays the foundation for a salvation that extends all over the earth to all people. It's a testimony that all of God's activity, whether it's overt or subtle, ultimately points to the salvation revealed Here, generations before David rises to power, God is working toward the future of Israel and ultimately towards the salvation of the world. God behind the scenes. As we have surveyed this book, we can see God's sovereign hand touching everything. We see God at work in every circumstance. His invisible hand steers the events that occur. God uses a series of little things that all add up to be an important part of his plan. But it's not only in significant events such as we've been considering in Ruth. God is still the same and he does the same in your life and in mine. God often works in the background of our lives. Someone has made the quip, a coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. A coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. God subtly... subtly shapes the course of our lives, nudging us in certain directions, bringing people in and out of our lives, allowing events to occur. God uses these to make us the people that he wants to be and to fulfil his purpose in our lives. Of course, we may never be fully aware of this. We may never be able to understand why certain events occur. They remain hidden. It's only with the eye of faith that we're able to see God's hand in life's experiences. I'm sure many of us find it easy to believe God is working out his purposes in our life when everything is going well, when there's one good thing after another. And when problems come, when pain weighs us down, when there seems to be one crisis after another, when there are personal setbacks, injuries, grief, theft, loss, whatever, it's harder for us to accept that God has a purpose in in it, isn't it? And everything that comes into our lives is going to turn into a blessing sooner or later. That's what Paul had in mind when he wrote We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In a fallen world that has lost its direction, in a society that claims that we are masters of our own fate and captains of our own destiny, the book of Ruth reaffirms that God is still on the throne that God is working out his purposes in big things, in small things, day in, day out, year in, year out, in your life and in mine. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we thank you and praise you that as we look back over our lives that we may be, we are able to Bless the hand that guided and the heart that planned. To acknowledge that you are the God who is there at work in bringing your purposes to pass for your glory. Help us to rest in this confidence as we offer ourselves to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. We're not going to sing our closing hymn, but rather we're going to st- I'm going to ask you to stand the words will appear on the screen and we're going to read these words together as our response. I hope. Yeah, the, no. Let's read together. God holds the key of all unknown and I am glad. If other hands should hold the key or if he trusted it to me, I might be sad. I might be sad. What if tomorrow's cares were here without its rest? I'd rather he unlocked the day and as the hours swing open say, my will is best, my will is best. The very dimness of my sight makes me secure. For groping in my misty way, I feel his hands I hear him say, my help is sure, my help is sure. I cannot read his future plans, but this I know. I have the smiling of his face and all the refuge of his grace while here below, while here below. Enough, this covers all my wants and so I rest. For what I cannot, he can see. And in his care I saved shall be forever blessed. Blessed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this confidence and this assurance. We thank you that you know the way before us. We thank you that we can trust you where we cannot trace. And as we go out now, we pray that your grace mercy and peace might rest upon us, remain with us now and forevermore. Amen.